Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by William Falcon, who is the creator of PyTorch Lightning, a deep learning framework. He's also the founder and CEO of Lightning AI and was previously co-founder and CTO of NextGenVest. He began working on these projects while completing a PhD at NYU, which was funded by Google DeepMind and NSF. Additionally, he worked as a researcher at Facebook AI and at Goldman Sachs. Welcome to the show today, William. Thanks for having me. Very excited to uh, chat. Yeah, super happy to have you on the on the podcast today. A question I wanted to kind of kick this off with is um, to kind of ask you a little bit about your your background. What got you started on this field? You've obviously done a lot of really interesting things in the space. You got a PhD. Is this something you always knew you were interested in AI and kind of this technology, or is this something that you know you you found as you were going through school, or what was your journey like on that? Yeah, uh, super random walk. I actually started in the military, so actually okay. I was doing uh, special operations for a few years, um, going through SEAL training, and then I got injured, and so the Navy was like, "What are you gonna do next?" And I was like, "I don't know. I guess I'm gonna <laughs> figure something else out." Um, so they, they gave me an option to like become a pilot or like you know, one of these other jobs. And I was like, not at all, I want to pursue this. Um, and so I, I uh, basically, I, you know, the, the Navy discharged me. And then um, while I was sitting around kind of waiting for my next thing, I, which is around 2012 when the iPhones were becoming a thing. Okay. Um, I started learning to code iPhone apps. And so I got into coding that way. And then um, many years later, just happened to like around 2012, 2013, people started caring a lot about um, how do I get smarter with my software, right? Apps and so on. Mm-hmm. So I started looking to machine learning and then uh, a few years later discovered uh, deep learning. So I uh, just kind of found my way through there and then um, I found that it was pretty useful and I'll uh, come doing it, I guess. And uh, that was before all the craziness and all the hype. So um, turns out the tools I built for myself for undergrad um, and then my PhD at some point became what is Spites reciting today. So it's stuff that I've been working on since 2015. But it became really relevant in 2019 when we were training huge models already and at Facebook at that time. And now, fast forward to 2023, and everyone's trying to train large models. And it's stuff that we already were doing in 2019. So it's, uh, I guess, pretty timely. <laughs> very cool. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Um, so, of course, you're the creator of PyTorch Lightning. Can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, explain to the listener what PyTorch Lightning is, what it does, the, and the, the, the problems it's solving for customers? Yeah, so PyTorch is a framework that is built by Facebook and it is for developing models, right? So mathematically speaking, it's like computational graphs and all these other things that know the help, right? PyTorch Lighting is a framework that organizes that code and gives you like a framework, right? So I would say PyTorch is more like a library and PyTorch Lighting is more like a framework. So the analogy is like JavaScript and React. So PyTorch is like JavaScript and PyTorch Lighting is like React. Like, could you build Instagram on JavaScript, sure, but why would you, right? Like right. you kind of need a framework like React to do something like that because there's a lot of other things that go into it than just the code itself. So PyTorch Lightning solves that. And then our enterprise platform basically is everything else around ML. So how to build and deploy and everything that is not just training, but like everything that, how you link it all together with the rest of the kind of ML, uh, ML pipeline. Okay, very cool. So something else I, I think I was curious to ask you a little bit about kind of with your background and some of the things you worked on is, you know, for people listening, what are some strategies that you would suggest for designing AI systems that can handle massive data sets and adapt to, um, you know, evolving AI-driven application requirements? Um, so we deal with a lot of 
layers, I guess. So mm. we deal with all the way down to hardware, to apps, to models, to how you do the model. So which layer are you, spe are you specifically talking about? Um, I, I don't know. Just, I guess, if you have any any of those layers, if you have any strategies or, or recommendations for them. Yeah, so I think probably most people today are concerned with building more AI products, I would say. Like, that's mm -hmm. like the majority of people, right? It's like yeah, uh, the equivalent of like building an iPhone app. Um, so Lightning itself is kind of like the iPhone, and the, we give you all the tools to do that. So if you're building an iPhone app um, or an AI app right now, um, I think the thing that you probably care about, honestly, is like getting to market as quickly as possible. So it's less about how much data you're taking in or what you're allowed. It's like, how can I derive value from my users very quickly? So probably like a, like a chat GPT API or something like that is super useful, which you can also uh, obviously do through our platform. But I would pretty much just get people not necessarily thinking too much about the models or this or that is get to the value of what your business is very quickly, regardless of the model. It's a byproduct of that. And then once you have some product market fit there, then go optimize the model. You can do that by fine tuning or pre-training the model, but that will depend on how much data you have. And usually the data that you want to use is data that's unique to your thing. So like if you're a lawyer and you're working on, I don't know, court cases or doc legal documents, the data set you want to give it is like legal documents to yeah. make that model perform better. Right. But POCing is very simple. It's uh it'd be like using Squarespace back in the early two thousands, right? Like mm -hmm. get a, get get a page up, just get people on it, and then before you go invest into building a full blown application. Okay. Yeah, I've got some some really good advice. Something I'd be curious about asking you is like right now running um Lightning AI, what are what are some of the biggest challenges that you're currently working on or trying to solve? What what's some of the most difficult things about what you guys are currently building? Um, I mean, there are challenges that we've had for a long time that I think are more relevant now because more people are using it and using AI in general. But in 2019, we were training what is called an LLM now, right? Uh -huh. so we were training large models back then uh, on Facebook. It was mostly vision models, but the same, same analogy, same stuff. And we were using something like 2,000 GPUs at that time. This is 2019 okay. right? for one model. Today, it's like people are like blown away if you can use like 32, 64 GPUs. Like wow. that's very easy uh, for us, right? So um, I, I think like a lot of the challenges are around large model training and make, you know, accessing tons of data, terabytes and, and all of that. I would say are challenging in general, but these are things that we've solved already for many years, right? So uh -huh. I think what we're doing more now is not just doing that, but how do you do it at enterprises? How do you do it at scale, right? Because it's not just about demos or POCs or any of this. It's actually about how do you build meaningful products, right? And, uh, and that's a big gap between like what I can see on a chat GPT window versus what I can deploy in a, in a company. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of in that, right. You touched on some of the, the, like the scalability and security issues. How is lightning AI kind of ensuring the scalability and security of AI applications? Um, I mean, so everything we do is uh, for them to like on the enterprise side, it's uh, on your data, on your VPC, on your own cloud and all that stuff. Right. So there's a lot of stuff there, but we partner with other kind of third parties to make sure that like your data is secure, audited, and so on. We have a lot of core auditing capability for the platform as well. Okay. Uh, at the end of the day, like every enterprise is going to be unique. So we deploy a lot to banks and like high okay. high industries, and those are pretty. They take a lot of time to get through. Um, it, it you know one bank took us probably over a year to just even start. Oh wow. So wow, and that's. All the, and the things changed so quickly that by the time that we started, the field had completely changed, right? So, 
yeah, that's uh, there's definitely a long, long, uh, long time in development on some of those more regulated industries. Um, it's really cool that you have worked with banks and other industries like that. I'm wondering, are there other maybe like success stories that you could share where Lightning has kind of made a, a big impact on a project or an organization? Yeah, so on the open source, I would say probably the most big companies in the world like use Lightning Lightning today. So um, Amazon, you know, they're training massive models, hundreds of billions of parameters. They use Python uh, Lightning to do that. NVIDIA has a whole product line called Nemo that uses Python Lightning. Stable Diffusion, Stability AI, all those models are training using Python Lightning. Uh, you can talk about Lyft, Uber, like all the biggest companies in the world. If they're doing anything beyond like a little model or a few people working on it, it's very likely using Python Lightning. And it's just a framework that does that. There's a lot of other frameworks and tools that are good for demos and POCs and small models. But uh -huh. Lightning doesn't really have a competitor for like scaling large models, right? And it's been battle tested already for many years before even ChatGPT and, and LLMs and all this stuff. Um, and so on the platform side, it's really been helping those companies augment more of what they do and do it at scale so that they don't have to deal with all the infrastructure or management themselves, right? Because it's pretty, pretty hefty. But um, yeah, I mean, we've touched pretty much any industry at this point. It's likely like NASA at some point. Like everything has touched PyTorch Lightning already. So if you're interacting with any system that uses intelligence, it's very likely that it was uh, somehow like PyTorch Lightning was involved in their training or deploying the thing. That's super cool. Wow, that's amazing. What are what are some areas that, uh, you know, looking to the future with everything that you guys are building, you're the most excited for some advancements uh, that you see, you see everything in this space making? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's super excited about trying to get models to train on bigger and bigger machines. Uh, we're actually excited about the opposite, is how do we get chat GPT performance trained on your laptop? Okay. Or like single GPUs or very, very, very small things. So I think that's where we will take the market, uh, not just us, but the, the rest of the open source community. And that's super important because you need to make this accessible. It's kind of like IBM and Apple, right? Like IBM had these mainframes that only they could operate and it was needed for like big things that they were doing. And then Apple was like, here's a personal computer, like everyone should have access to this. So we kind of think of our ways uh, ourselves as like the Apple of this, where we want to mm -hmm. make AI really dem democratize and have everyone in the world be able to have their own models and run their own stuff without needing to like, you know, pay some giants, some crazy fees just to do that. Like we imagine if we have to buy, every time you want to use a computer, you have to pay IBM to use it. Like that's pretty <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's, that's super cool. So one thing I would, I would love to ask you about, um, because this was just in the news, I believe, like yesterday, the day before, Intel, if you've seen, has just announced that kind of the next big thing for them they want to do is what they're calling AI PCs, where they're like making these chips um, so that you can like run AI models on your PC. And that's kind of like it's something that I think a lot of consumers are really excited about. Um, I would I'd be just curious to hear your perspective on that. I guess some of the ch ways you're doing, you're trying to facilitate this, some of the ways they're trying to facilitate this, and I guess your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's definitely the way to go. Um, in, NVIDIA's already done it, right? You can run, uh, you can buy laptops with like 1080 GPUs, probably a more advanced GPUs nowadays, 3090s or 3080s or something. So they can, they can run models locally, but these things are massive, right? I think Apple's already doing that. Like we, we've actually been really heavily involved as well. And like all these, like if you ever see on Twitter, they're like, oh, run this model on like a laptop or whatever. Like mm -hmm. we've done a lot of that work as well. Cool. Um, and people like, for example, we have Lama models that you can run in your laptop. You can, you can serve them from there today. Um, that's a lot of work on like getting M1 and M2 chips to work really well. But yeah, I think Intel has the capability to do this. Uh, they have the Gaudi line as well. So I'm sure they're, they can take some ideas from there and drop them into the laptops. But I think it's a feature. It's a matter of time until, 
it's not even for like consumers. Like I think the use case is less like you at home playing with the model, mm-hmm. but more like deploying at the edge, like running a model on headphones or a, like a heart monitor or something like that. So mm. you can have bigger applications, right? Very cool. Yeah, of course. That'd be incredibly interesting. I mean, that's not even a prospect I've personally thought about much. Um, based off of like, I guess some of the advancements you guys are working on in your scene, how do you feel like things in the AI space will shift? Like, let's say over the next five years, like what are the, some of the big shifts you you think are coming? Oh man, so hard to predict. You know, I know. Last year, this time we were, we were talking. It's funny because like I was at an Intel conference. I was giving a talk at like an Intel panel uh-huh. around July of last year. And they were like, what's the next big thing? And I was like, I think diffusion models are probably going to be a big thing. Two months later, stability launches with diffusion models, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then like eight months later, child GPT, it's like, I can't, we can't predict it all. Right? So <laughs> five years, I have no clue. I don't, I definitely don't think we'll be at AGI. I can tell you that much. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. And I can, I definitely don't think, I think this whole big model company thing will not be a thing in five years. Like I, I don't okay. think that that's going to last. So all these companies that are raising massive amounts of money to train these massive models, um, maybe there's a use case for that, but in five years, this will be just commoditized, right? Okay. There'll be thousands of these, and these will be open source models for the most part. So I think that's the biggest thing, but I'm, I don't think I'm saying anything that people don't know. Maybe people still believe that like, this is the way to go in the future, but I think in five years, it'll be all very, very small personal models that are open source. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of interesting because I've, I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. That's where I see this going. I believe it was at the just like at the beginning of the year, almost, um, Stanford did a, a thing where they did made like a PubMed GPT, right? They, they trained it on publicly available medical journals. And they're like, yeah, this thing's great at answering like medical questions. If you wanted it to be really good, you train like a very specific model on like heart disease or on breast cancer. And so they're, they're kind of looking at that um, too, where it's like topic specific, which was a really interesting concept for me to, to think about. It's like chat GPT may not be like this overarching giant that just knows everything there may be more specific models or maybe they're kind of integrated in different ways even the way that uh you know chat gpt's models were leaked and they have like i guess they call them like 16 different like experts or or like kind of areas within gpt4 that are helping to facilitate things so definitely very interesting i'm wondering do you have a a piece of advice that you would be able to give to people perhaps working in ai today young professionals that are kind of getting into this field you have a really awesome background, right? right? Like you, uh, you did your PhD, you had Google DeepMind fund it. You, you had, a, you did a lot of really cool things in this space. I'm wondering, you know, other people interested in getting into the space right now, what's a piece of advice you, you could give them? Don't do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> we all say that. No, you don't need to. Right. So I think, uh, no, I think we, we've made a lot of this stuff super accessible now. Not, I don't mean we like lightning, but like the community in general. Right. So like, okay. Yeah, with PyTorch Lightning, can you train a model today and not know anything about backprop or, you know, gradient descent or any of this? A hundred percent, you can do that, right? Can you run stuff on the cloud without knowing anything about it? Yeah, you can also do that. So I think there's a world where you don't need to worry about too much of the technical details. So I think people getting into it today should have a business problem they want to solve, like a real either, I don't know, some side project you want to build or like a personal thing if you're in school, like an app or like a startup you want to spin up or whatever. Um, I would focus on that. I wouldn't get, I don't, I would not be turned off by the fact that maybe you don't know how to code. Maybe you don't know how to deploy things. It's fine. You don't need to do that. There's plenty of tools out there that can help you do this, but having a clear idea of what to solve for a real set of users is more important than learning how to code because there's a ton of people that can code, but none of them are like lawyers or medical experts or anything. 
So the, the, the stuff that they're going to try to do is kind of the same. Some model API or some sort of tooling or some, some sort of like version of the same thing that anyone else can think about, right? So it's, I think those deep experts that should not be scared and go pick up um, some APIs, go prototype your stuff. And then if that works, then from there, go hire a few developers and start learning, right? And if you're a developer, I think it's still useful to do that because um, you, you, you want to be product focused and then learn tools as a result. I think mm-hmm. one thing that separates me probably from most engineers I hate engineering, right? I mean, I do it and I do it a lot, but like I use engineering to solve problems. I don't code for the fun of it. Okay. And that's different. A lot of people yeah. just code because they're like, that's cool. I'm like, that is cool, but like it's cooler to see people excited about something you built, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like people don't care if ChatGPT is operated by a thousand monkeys behind the scenes. Like they don't care, but it's right. Cool, right. Right. Totally. Totally. I love that. What's one thing you think that, uh, perhaps other AI startups um, are doing incorrectly today? Um, and I guess a, a piece of advice or, or somewhere where you think that people are going in the wrong direction. I mean, I know you mentioned, of course, like ChatGPT and like models being way too big, but are there other areas? Yeah, I think chasing trends. I think everyone's trying to chase these trends. I think you need to just pause, think about the problem you're trying to solve and be principled about it. But if you're always chasing the next thing, you're by definition never pushing anything, right? Because mm-hmm. everything's always moving. So by the time you start chasing the next thing, that's already gone. Like you're already a year behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. I saw a very similar thing in the in the mid two thousand like 2012s area where it was with iPhone apps. And you know back then it was the same thing. That 10,000 calculator apps, 20,000 yeah. you know flashlight apps, and it was like which one's gonna win? It doesn't matter. And we're all commodities, right? So yeah. But the stuff that won was stuff stuff that was really well done that was super thought out and had like a real use case. And those things became multi-billion dollar companies, right? But, and there's nothing wrong with putting side projects out there. Just don't yeah. conflate a side project with like a business. They, they mm-hmm. run the same thing usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I like that. Uh, I like that advice. It kind of goes into my follow-up or my follow-on question, which is um, what are some areas you think people investing in AI are are perhaps missing the mark? You mentioned, of course, sometimes putting money on these big, huge anthropic, for example, today just announced they got like $4 billion from AWS. Of course, OpenAI has done 10 billion from Microsoft. What are some areas you think that investors are going wrong and what's some advice you feel like you could give to people looking at making investments in the AI space? Yeah, I see a lot of VC money just chasing very silly things, but you know, they were chasing silly things back in early 2002, right? So I think it's just about having a fundamental understanding of what this stuff is. I think everyone has like a FOMO and like, they want to understand what's going to be the next thing or not. Like, and there's all these feeling positions about like who's going to capture the value chain, this or that. It's like it, none of us know. Like, if we knew, we'd all be running hundred million dollar hedge funds, right? But we don't. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't, don't try to be too smart. I would say it's like just be principled, do the diligence, do the work to understand what the field is doing, like what is actually needed, and then find companies that match that. As opposed to getting carried away by like all these pitches of startups because they're all gonna. Every single one's going to make a compelling argument, right? About why something's going to be good. Some are amazing, 100%. And I, I do angel investing, so I invest in some cool things. Um, but you have to really know what's going on in AI to be able to make good investments. Yeah, I love that. That is, I think, very, very important advice right now, especially with kind of the some of the froth in the AI market. William, thank you so much for coming on the AI Chat Podcast today. Really appreciate your insights, uh, hearing your background and everything. If people want to... Um, find out more about some of the things you're working on and some of the solutions over at Lightning AI. What's a good way for them to uh, look that up and, and find out more about you? Yeah, so go to lightning.ai and sign up and uh, then you know let us know. We'll get you off the wait list. 
And then uh, follow me on Twitter as well. So Will Falcon and uh, Lightning AI on Twitter as well. And you'll, you'll see our community updates and everything else as well. All right. Sounds good. And I'll drop a link to that in the uh, description for or in the uh, show notes for the listeners. William, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode, breaking down how AI is impacting your industry. Today's episode is sponsored by AIbox, a no-code AI app builder and marketplace, which just launched a crowdfunding campaign. If you are interested in investing in a new AI startup, you can go to republic.com slash AI box. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well to learn more. The minimum investment is $150 and the maximum investment is $100,000. Until next time, have a fantastic day.